Welcome to the Fearless Warrior Podcast, a place for athletes, coaches, and parents who know the value of a strong mindset. I'm your host, Coach AB, a mental performance coach on a mission, former softball coach, wife, and mom of three. Each episode, we will dive deep into all things mental performance, mindset tools, and how to rewire the brain for success. So if your goal is to gain the mental edge and learn the secrets of mental performance, you're in the right place. Let's tune in to today's episode. Ashley Eggle, or most of you know her, Ashley Burkhart, is an amazing coach, a very good friend of mine, and just an all-around amazing human. She is the creator and founder of the Virtual Hitting Academy, a coaching platform that has reached thousands of athletes who are looking for tools to unleash their potential in the game no matter where they live. As a former D1 and professional player who hails from the Midwest, she is on a mission to inspire other athletes that their dreams are possible. She's also the host of When the Cleats Come Off podcast, wife and new mom, and in all these hats she wears, her positivity and light shines in every room she steps into. I can't wait to share with you one of the many conversations her and I have shared. We are so excited to take you behind the scenes of what it is that we do as coaches and why it matters so much to us. So let's jump into today's episode. Ashley, I'm so excited to catch up with you. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so happy to be here. We finally have a podcast, bro. This is great. I'm ready to riff. I love our conversations. I know we say this every single time that we should hit record. Is there a way to record this? And now we get to do that. So you're right. Every phone call we have, we're like, seriously, this is like all such great content. So hopefully we can get it a little bit off our chest. Yeah, some some gold nuggets. So right now, at the time of this podcast recording, you have a three month old, right? Yes. Almost three months. Almost to the day. Almost Almost to the day. day. So you're a new mom. You're back to lessons in person. You have your virtual hitting academy. You are mental performance coaching, hitting coaching, all the things. What is a day in the life like? Like, give me a behind the scenes look. (laughs) My day in the life before little Barrett came into this world was so different. I was just telling you this before we recorded. Like, it's so interesting how my priorities are so much clearer now that I have him because I only might have like an hour one day to like get any work done. Now I'm like, what's the biggest priority? What's the biggest needle mover? Like, go ahead and do it. So honestly, every day is different. I feel like you probably agree with this. I mean, I your babies probably have better sleep schedules than mine, but mine is just, you know, he eats every two hours. Like, he might fall asleep in my arms. And if he falls asleep in my arms, do I have my laptop nearby? Like, can I whip out an email or two? There is no structure to my days as of right now. But I will say from a priority perspective, I'm almost happy about it because it keeps me really humble, but also it makes me get the necessary work done each week. Hats off. I mean, we talk about this all the time. It's allowed to be both amazing and wonderful and exciting and sucky and hard at the same Mm -hmm. time. It can be both. Facts. Facts. So talk to me about back to the swing of things. You're coaching, right? You're doing the thing. What message would you want to send to your girls and athletes and parents that are watching this of it it can also be both, right? You're you're coaching. You're a mom. How are you juggling it? You talk about your priorities. Talk to me about your hitting girls. Did you miss them? What's what's life like now? Oh, yeah. I missed all of my athletes so much. And I think I missed doing camps like I don't want to say most. 
Um, I took a break from the podcast for a little bit and which was good because sometimes when you you'll start to learn this now that you have a podcast, like if you take a little bit of a break from the podcast, whether it's interviews or whatever, you can actually figure out like, how can I make it just a little bit better? So in all honesty, it was like a great break. I think I took about six weeks off of lessons, technically seven because he came a week late. Um, But I took, you know, seven weeks off and it was awesome. Like it was obviously necessary to take that time off because I there was there was nothing on my mind other than how do I keep this baby alive for that long? And I'm still, you know, most of my day is that. But it was it was so interesting that taking this time off made me miss my lessons more. It made me miss camps more. It made me also see how can I make each one of the elements of my business like better. So it was it's funny because you're in the midst of all the hard stuff, but you're realizing and having more clarity on what it is that you have, like your own vision. So, I mean, I can almost relate it to an athlete who, you know, takes four weeks off during Christmas break. And I'm like always like kudos to you because one, you're going to start missing softball. And if you start missing softball, you're in the right place. If you don't miss softball during those four weeks, then maybe it's not for you. Um, I know that might be a little blunt, but it's true. Like if you don't miss what you're doing, then why are you doing it? So I missed all of it, but now I'm excited. I've got a few clinics set up coming up soon. I've got, I've started working with my athletes in person again, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, things are rolling full steam now. I love that perspective. And you practice what you preach. And I know we've had this conversation before, and this might be a hot take, but it's end of July, right? PGF is going on right now. And for the rest of the country, seasons are are pretty much done unless you've made it to California or Alliance. But when we practice what we preach, you took time off as a coach. You ask your athletes to do the same. Now we're coming into the fall season. I mean, that what's your hot take on that? If there's one thing that you could just reach through the phone of the parents of the athletes you're working with, like what would you tell them about taking breaks? Mm. If you don't take breaks and you're going at full steam always, I don't think you'll be able to make it. I think burnout is literally around the corner, truly. Um, This was me like early on in my business. I'm on year like seven or eight now. And I remember like year two or three, I had been going full steam ahead with no breaks just because I was like trying all these things, saying yes to everything you know, doing lessons five nights a week for four hours. Like it was just chaos. And I got to a point where I was like, Ashley, what are you doing? Like this, like, do you even want to do this anymore? And I, in at that moment, I was like, I don't know. And so I took a few months off and I was like, not off, off, like I still did lessons, but I, I stopped doing a lot of blogging. I stopped doing a lot of the things that, you know, I was told I had to do in order to get seen. And it brought me back to, okay, how can I manage this? How can I make sure I have a schedule that I can keep up with, but also like take a week off of work and not feel bad about it? (laughs) Like, so I think it took a lot of trial and error and maybe a listener right now is going through this trial and error series. But, you know, if you don't take breaks, you're not taking care of yourself well enough. Um, And a week is a week. Like I studied strength and conditioning in college and you're not going to lose muscle, you know, from a strength perspective after seven days. You're not. Yeah. Now, if you take, you know, a full month off of just not 
you know, lifting any sort of weight, then yeah, you're going to start seeing some detriment. But, you know, sometimes from especially a mental perspective, taking a break is the best thing you can do for yourself. Um, I know there are some athletes that reach out to me and they're like, I think I'm on the edge of burnout, um, but I have all these camps coming up, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, you're not going to be your best self at those camps if you're on the edge of burnout. You're just not. Um, and there's there's one thing to say that like if you show up and you know you put your best out or effort out there, like you're still getting better, which is absolutely true. Like if if you only have 60%, give your 60% that day. But if you consistently are going like, I only have 60%, and then the next day you only have 40%, and then 30, you're literally are gonna burn yourself out to zero. And it's gonna be really hard to get back to loving the game again. So I don't remember what the question was, but burnout is is out there. It's real. Like people don't think it's it's very real. You can well, also I think we be get very swept driven. Up in the pressure. Yeah. Yeah. There's so much pressure. pressure yeah. Parents. There's so much pressure. But you know, I think also like if if you're not in the midst of hard either, then you're not pushing yourself enough. So it's it's like this double edged sword. You know, like you have to be able to push yourself to to limits that you don't even realize you can get to in order to get better and stronger. But also, if you're consistently doing that, that's where I think burnout happens. Yeah. Well, I think from the perspective of we're on the other side of being retired athletes, even the idea of a rest day, I know that the travel days and schedules, I think about summer ball and their schedules, the weekends are a working, you know, you have a 40-hour work week. Parents, entrepreneurs, you know, we we don't necessarily have a 40-hour work week, but if you think about the weekends, the weekends are parents' time to unplug from work. Mm-hmm. When do our athletes have that? Have you ever thought about that? Like, oh, they go time. to school Monday through Friday. Mm-hmm. They work out Monday through Thursday. And then they're playing Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And mm-hmm. even during the summertime, it's packed during the day with strength and conditioning and detasseling here in the Midwest and summer jobs and pools and all the things that they want to try to cram in to be kids. but their weekends are not their rest days. So when is their rest yeah. day? Never. I'm just kidding. Um, I mean, really, it, it is I never. Think, okay, I, I feel strongly about this. If you're under the age of 14 and that's what your schedule looks like, stop. Like, that's too much. Like, you shouldn't have a strength coach, a, um, you know, physical therapist and like all of these different things and literally have, you know, softball every single day of the week under the age of 14. I, I don't think that's necessary. Now, 14 is normally where athletes decide like, do I want to play, you know, D1? And and I work with a lot of athletes that um, have those goals. And so I say, yeah, at about 14, 15, like you should get it. You should start getting serious about your training. Um, and if you are over the age of 14, that's where you actually have to schedule free time <laughs> because you're not going to find it unless you schedule it. I learned that the hard way my freshman year of college. I remember getting to school and never scheduled time for myself. And I was like, this sucks. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Um, But then I met with a mentor who helped me literally schedule free time into my day, like whether that's one Netflix show at the end of the day in bed or, um, you know, I wouldn't say waking up early because I was getting up at five for workouts anyway. But it's just like scheduling that little piece of time where you get to just like be creative or, you know, rest or do something that you enjoy. Um, That's not softball. That's not not your sport. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And that's where I started realizing like having friends outside of softball was huge for me in college. Like that was that was the one thing that I loved because they weren't asking me about softball ever. 
you know, and you almost have to distance yourself from it um, to enjoy it and continue to work really, really hard at it. Um, but yeah, those, those younger athletes, you know, be a kid. Like I, I met with somebody for the first time a couple of weeks ago to hit with in person and she was awesome. Like her mom's great. And like, as soon as the lesson ended, she goes, okay, so we're going to, we're going to schedule another one of these in about a month. Um, school's about to start and we're just going to let her be a kid for a few weeks. And I was like, please do. Like it's the end of summer. She was playing travel ball all summer and hasn't gotten to be able to be a kid. So go do it. And I know some hitting coaches are like, well, that's dumb. Why would you tell someone to take a break? Um, because people know when they need breaks and they should take them when they need yeah. them. So I love that that mom was like, yeah, she's taking a break. And I'm like, here, I'm here for that. I really yeah. am. Because she does work hard. When she's there, she works hard. And when she does put in work, she works really hard. Now, if you're one who wants to take breaks and aren't working hard, then we need to have a conversation. But I think there there is a way to find that balance. Um, you just kind of have to find it sometimes. Yeah, I love that. I love that your mentor pointed that out to you. That's actually one of the questions that I wanted to riff with you on is, you know, back when we played, I know we're not that far removed from the game, but I always talk to the girls about the fact that we didn't really have hitting coaches. Hitting coaches weren't the norm. If you had a hitting coach, you were going D1. If you did meet with a hitting coach, it wasn't every single week. You know, like we think about pitching lessons. I saw a pitching coach every single week. But hitting lessons were sparse, if any. And now, 10-year-olds, 11, 12, all the way up, it's, it's the norm for all of these athletes to have a designated hitting coach that they meet with every single week, which I think is amazing. But also, how cool will that be when these other coaches, like us, who teach mental skills, mental performance coaches, where I didn't know what that was five years ago until I started diving into this world and getting certified and becoming a mental performance coach myself. You had mentors who taught you those tools. I really do believe that five years from now, everyone will have a mental resource, whether that's a program, a coach, a group coaching program, whether more coaches are trained in it. Can you kind of talk about the mental performance side of like, what are you seeing in your sessions with your athletes and what do you talk about with them? Yeah, I think this is this is a heavy hitter because pun intended, um, <laughs> because, you know, you know this when you're diving into your own business, you have to find out things that make you stick out and that make you different than others. Um, and I started realizing that I think the athletes that I worked with that found the most growth were the ones who were taking their physical, you know, workout, whether it's hitting or whatever, and also like diving into the mental piece and dive in wanting to talk about, you know, what were your experiences? Like, did you ever find burnout? Did you ever want to quit the game? Um, how did you get through this? What's your, um, what's your thought process with two strikes? Like the athletes who ask those questions are the ones that I know are going to make it like, and go and go far. Um, because, they know the importance of not just the physical swing, but, you know, having the right mindset behind it is is really what makes you great. Like I say this example all the time, like Hunter Pence had like the worst swing of all time in the MLB, but like he was clutch and he got his job done. So I always say this, like you can have the prettiest swing in the world, which I selfishly think mine is the prettiest because it's my logo. But I worked, you know, 20 years to make that swing what it was. But if I didn't believe in that swing, it wasn't going to get me anywhere. So I think um, when you take the perspective of diving into 
you know, your physical abilities, getting as good as you can there. And also, you know, you don't have to dive in as hard mentally, like I think early on, especially because early on, we're still learning the, the physical skills and we're still learning ourselves out. But if you want to make it to the next level, you have to have some sort of, you know, mental training or coaching or dive into books like Mind Gym or Heads Up Baseball was a big one that I read in college. Like there are resources out there, um, which is why I'm so glad you're coming out with a podcast, because if you if you really want to dive into this stuff, like this is the place to be um, because you're asking the right questions and you're not scared to ask the tough questions either. Um, I think it's necessary to dive into that stuff if you want to make it to the next level. So much gold. So many gold nuggets there. Okay, so talk about some of the things that you're teaching inside your virtual hitting academy with your in-person lessons as a coach that really values the mental side. If you said, hey, if if I were to give you one to two skills, which mental skills have impacted you the most and which do you feel have the most impact on the athletes? Oh, man. I mean, there's so many different mental skills and I, I try to teach as many as I know. But, you know, I teach what I what worked for me as well a lot. So and, and here's the thing, too. I think I've, I've learned a lot in my 10 years of, you know, coaching, but I've learned that everybody learns things differently. Everybody uses different skills differently. Um, skill that you that worked for me that I love teaching is visualization. I think that is that is the one thing that when I learned it in my sports psychology class, my senior year of college, that was the kicker. Like that was if you could see yourself succeeding in a situation, whether it be a tough situation, um, just a regular situation, whether that's defense, offense, whatever. If you can see yourself succeeding and being able to look at yourself from a distance or close your eyes and see yourself doing it, you're more likely going to make it happen. So I use that a lot in college, especially versus like big opponents like UCLA and Arizona. I think the reason why I was the most successful against the biggest teams was because I used visualization a lot. Um, and, you know, you probably teach imagery and visualization, obviously, but I remember vividly going four for four against UCLA. And, you know, everybody's like, you guys aren't going to win. And I'm just like, bet, like I'm betting on myself. And I remember just digging in and just seeing myself doing well against this like all-American pitcher. And I did. And what I took from there was, you know, remembering what made me great in that situation and, you know, giving that self, that that person that showed up that day like a name. Um, so I literally would just like repeat UCLA, UCLA, UCLA in my head in the future like during other opponents and other games, and it would remind me of who I was in the box during that game. So I don't know if that's another mental skill. Like, I feel like I shared two different ones, but like I used visualization and I kept using it because I was in a situation of success that time and I was able to carry that with me in the future. So I think that is one that I love to share and teach. And, you know, most athletes love that. And then you get, you know, one or two that just don't relate to that yet. And that's OK. Like, I think that's the fun part about being a coach and why I'm in the coach until the day I die, probably, is um, learning how different athletes tick and what different athletes need. So visualization is a big one. Um, another one that I teach. 
I don't know if this is a mental skill. You you can tell me this. You're you're more of the expert than me, but I always end lessons with some sort of like mental challenge. It's a physical challenge, like we're hitting, but it's a situation where I add some sort of pressure where it's like you got burpees on the line if you don't do it or whatever. And each kid gets, you know, different amount of burpees depending on like the situation or you know, different numbers, depending on how good this player is. But I always end with something where their heart has to start racing more. And so I think, I don't know if this is teaching a certain mental skill. Again, you can tell me. But I re- I know that when athletes leave that cage and they've done the thing, you know, maybe they do burpees and they have to do it again, but they've accomplished something hard. They walk out feeling like a million bucks. Like mm-hmm. that is going to translate to games Absolutely. that is that is the closest thing that i can imagine translating to games because your heart rate's going to be up it's going to be hot there's going to be all these intangibles but if you can find yourself to lock in when the pressure's on the line and you can do that often i feel like that's where um you know from a mental perspective athletes come out a little bit stronger does that have a name to it i wouldn't even say i don't know if there's a specific name but it's it's knowing your mental performance state knowing you know, can I perform? The brain loves clues. The brain only knows pieces of information. And so the analogy that that I always use, and I, I saw this on an Instagram reel, um, and I might mess it up, but but even if you've never experienced or seen something exactly, I know you've talked about the purple elephant. You can mm-hmm. see a purple elephant in your mind, but have you ever actually seen a purple elephant? No, but you have seen the color purple. Mm-hmm. And you've likely seen an elephant. And so your brain pulls those two together. And so I love what you talked about with UCLA. Had you faced UCLA yet? No. But did you watch film? Had you been to their field? Have you hit before? Your brain is just pulling together all of those context clues to create what feels really real. And one of the things that makes visualization really successful is anchoring it in that emotion. And it's like a bad dream or a good dream. You may not remember all the details of your dream, but you remember how it made you feel. And so when you reminded your brain, UCLA, UCLA, that's that identity that you're bringing into future games that you can immediately hack confidence. I mean, you basically are hacking confidence at that point. How freaking cool is that? Mm. Science. I mean, it's the science of the brain. Yeah. It's it's real proof that you can give athletes that this stuff works because I think sometimes parents if if you've never heard of this before and you're listening or players and you're rolling your eyes like yeah that worked for Ashley but not for me or yeah coach AB says this works but not for me what do you have to lose to try it Mm -hmm. there's so many different things to try and again like that might not work for you but I mean you have all the resources like I I throw my athletes over to your Instagram all the time. I'm like, look at this stuff. Like these are ideas. And that's that's what I think the best athletes do is they're always looking for ways to grow. So if they try something, which again, like if you don't try this and you're bashing it, then shame on you because if you haven't tried it, you don't know if it works. But if you do try it and it doesn't work, well, that just got you closer to the next thing that will as long oh, as yeah. you have the willingness to go try something else. I think that that is the that is the athlete who finds himself with more success is the one that never gives up and the one that keeps trying new things. And whether it works or not, they keep going and they keep Mm -hmm. going and they keep going. So good. 
Well, think about your hitting lessons. Are there specific drills that you have in mind that work really well for different athletes? You know, like, yeah, an extension drill or a leg drill. Like not everyone has a cookie cutter drill. Mm -hmm. Same same thing on the mental side, right? Like I have athletes that look at me and I ask them to put together a mental imagery of their hitting or their pitching. And they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, coach, I I just can't see it. But they love self-talk. Or, you know, some of my athletes, uh, one of my athletes, I'm so excited for her. She loves visualization. She's playing in PGF right now. And she will literally visualize every single pitch in her arsenal. She'll visualize what it feels like. Um, The cool thing is we had a conversation just on Sunday this week before PGF of, hey, are you guys the opening game? They're going to be playing the national anthem, likely. And if she's never experienced that before, I can think back to being on the line and how nerve wracking that is. If you've never mm-hmm. experienced that as an athlete, that is like a moment that can totally just your heart is racing out of your mind and it will throw off your mental game. Do you, do you recall that those moments? Those were the moments where I felt the most like my heart was going to leap out of my throat. Did you ever experience that? You know, it's interesting. I I looked at it in a whole different way. Like I loved the national anthem due to the fact that I got to almost picture what's coming next during that time because it's like a time of pause. So like, again, this is where you and I differ. Everybody's different. I love the national. I get emotional actually when I still hear the national anthem because I'm like, how cool is it that athletes get to go do what they love as soon as this is over? Because I used to be there, you know? Um, and it, it's funny because I used to say, yeah, I'm, the, I'm representing the USA by playing softball. Like it was just like interesting what I would tell myself during that time. But I, I, I enjoyed it. And yes, I did have the butterflies, but I felt more excited, I think, during the national anthem than anything. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I think down to those those moments of like even right now, I can see it in your eyes. Of, and like I'm feeling emotional because it's it's once you experience that, it feels really real. And so. Mm-hmm. Whether we're preparing our athletes to experience something for the first time, like putting their toes on the chalk line and representing our sport or a team that they've never played before, you know, whether it's UCLA or in the PGF or some of my other clients, it's like if we can prepare them for these moments, it's like when the moment happens in real life, it's a sense of, oh, we've been here before and they Mm -hmm. can just go out, trust their training. You know, we always say trust the process. I'm using air quotes, but that's that's the real work is is we're we're essentially preparing our athletes for the physical work they put in to match with the mental work, and then together they can just ball out. That's yeah. my that's my goal. Like if my athletes can yeah. do that, I would be so happy. You inspired me to want to go on a on a little tangent, but I think it's a cool one. Like I've I've never really talked about this. I think out loud before which this is this is why I know this is a great interview because you get the best out of me. Um, you know, how cool is it that like, so whether you're in college or you're representing, you know, your travel team, but like I knew I went to the right school because, you know, wearing Purdue on my chest was like some of the, you know, biggest inspiration or motivation for me to show up and do my thing was the fact that I got to represent the university that's on my chest. And we didn't we didn't have like our names on the back of our uniforms. And like some people like refuse to get those on their uniforms so that they have that feeling. You know, I just think it's like 
the coolest thing to be able to go represent your university or your high school team. And and again, not everybody has this feeling, but I feel like if you are so proud of the team that you're on or, you know, where you're playing, I think that is that is enough to just want to just go out and play and do the best that you possibly can. Because like if you go out and you ball out and you do your thing, whether you win or lose, you're proud of who who you showed up as that day. I think it could start from that feeling of just being proud of wearing the uniform. You know, mm-hmm. like when you put it on, can you just imagine yourself succeeding in this uniform? Like there's something deeper there that, you know, again, I haven't shared before, but I know I felt that as a Purdue athlete. Like whether it was the best opponents or the opponents that are like 0 for 10 that year, like I don't care who I'm playing. I get to wear this and I'm going to represent it the best that I can. I think if you've never thought about doing that, you know, as an athlete, I would totally recommend trying that out because there's just there's something special to it. It's hard to put into words, to be honest. Well, essentially what you're saying is that it's bigger, bigger than just Ashley. And so it almost takes the pressure off too, right? Yeah, totally. It's it's a good feeling, but it's also going to alleviate the pressure. I mean, I, I know you're strong in your faith too, but it's almost the same concept of if I'm playing to glorify God, then I get to give him the good and the bad. And so the pressure <laughs> really is no longer on me. And so it's whether it's your faith or the name on the front of your jersey, it's like once you remove it from I have to perform or I need to do this for my team, it it kind of just melts away that pressure and then you get to have fun just representing Purdue or, you know, firecrackers or athletics or whatever your team is, right? Of like, I'm just here doing my thing. I've prepared and now I get to go ball out. Yeah. How cool and is what, that? what better team that emulated that than Oklahoma? I mean, mm-hmm. I think Liberty does a great job of it too. But I can't remember specifically which game it was, but there was a post-game interview and it had like Grace Lyons was asked a question or maybe they all were asked the question like, what do you do with all that pressure, you know, of having to be the best team in the country? And, you know, Grace was just like, uh, we don't really care. Yeah. We're the best team in the country. Like, we literally are here to glorify God. And it's interesting because I didn't really play with a whole lot of that. But if I could go back, I it would relieve so much pressure from, you know, me if I if I did go do that. So and all three of them, like if you I don't know if we can find the link to this interview, but I'll try to look for it and send it to you. It yeah. was such a great representation of it's not about me. Right. Like it's about glorifying God, which is interesting because, again, I didn't really do that much. And like my faith is so much stronger now. Um, But, you know, how cool would it be if you could play with that ease of like. You're going to be loved anyway, no matter the outcome. It's pretty special. That's amazing. And I think part of it, too, is that, you know, I also discovered my faith post-college. I think everyone's on their own journey, but I think there's also an element of your support system there. Uh, Whether your faith is part of your support system, everyone has their support system, whether it's parents, grandparents, siblings, somebody that, that cares for them. Talk about that as a support system. Like you've had your parents, your sisters all on the pod when the cleats came off, come off. Uh, <laughs> I butchered that. When the cleats come off podcast, this is something that's super important to you. Talk about that. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I feel like each each one of my family members was had like a different role in my life. Um, like my biggest supporter, but also my big, biggest critic was probably my dad. He um, he had three girls and I was the oldest. So there's let's just say he wasn't perfect because there are a lot of things that he admittedly said. Yeah, I was probably way too hard on you in this situation or um you know, I asked too much of you sometimes, but, you know, I, I realized when I was 25, I vividly remember this, that like he was only hard on me because he wanted it for me. Like as bad as I wanted it, he wanted it. And so when I, when I did have, you know, a faulty game or, you know, a bad pass in basketball, like he, he wanted to talk about it because he knew that there was a learning opportunity there. Now, did we, have the conversation at the right time? Probably not. I have an a whole episode on my podcast about like when's the right time to have the tough conversation. Most of the time, my dad and I didn't have it at the right time. But in college, you know, when I was struggling, because everybody struggles at some point in time, mm. in college when I was struggling, I would call my dad and that was our best conversations was like when I asked to have the conversation. So you know, he he was huge um, in my career and in my two sisters' careers. My youngest sister still gets to play college sports, so kind of jealous, actually. But um, he was huge. Um, my mom was like the perfect shoulder to cry on, you know, when you really needed it. And honestly, when I had a tough game and I gave her a hug, sometimes I would cry <laughs> just because she's like, you're, you're doing great. Like, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, mom, I sucked, you know. But she was kind of that person that, um, you know, was there to, to listen or hear whenever I'm having a tough day. So she'd always make me feel better. And then my two sisters roles in my life was, it's interesting being the oldest because I'm five and eight years older than my sisters, but they were at every tournament that I ever had. They were, you know, having fun on the sidelines during the game. And like, I don't know how much they were watching, but like, now that I hear from it, from my middle sister, who was also on my podcast, she was like, Ashley, I looked up to you so much and I get emotional talking about it and especially hearing it from her because I played like she was watching, you know, whether she was or not. Like I wanted to set the best example for my younger siblings and, you know, whether they were watching or not. And it's so cool to like have had that mentality, you know, through travel ball and college to where like she was inspired to play college softball. And like, and now is telling me that I was a huge, you know, role model in her life. It's so interesting that like, I did not do that for the praise after, but now that the praise is hit, it's like, whoa, yeah, that's crazy. The perspective. Mm, yeah. Like the perspective. I mean, I think we have similar upbringings. Um, I think about my dad and, and this is kind of a realization that I had. My dad has since passed. Um, and he's been gone and and I would give anything to call up my dad and have those conversations. I was working with a couple of parents on a parent training and I realized I had a very critical father and mm. it wasn't always easy, but I never, ever once doubted one thing. And I didn't realize this at the time. I've realized this since now, but I think what made our relationship so great even with my dad not being perfect, was I never doubted how much he loved me and that we always had the same goal. And I think that really put the criticism into perspective because 
I could love the person who he was and I could separate when he was being critical. And my dad said some crazy things that I don't think you could get away with as a parent today. Um, but, I, but I think but I think about those things and I think about my mom's perspective. And my mom was always in the stands and I love her dearly. I need to have her on the podcast. She would always say things like, smile, A.B., have fun, A.B. And at the time, I thought that that was the most annoying thing, especially. As oh, yeah. I rolls all day. Yeah. The same. And now looking back, it was that perfect mix from my parents as my support system of I knew that my parents always wanted the best for me. And if I would have gone back in time and reminded myself of that, I think things would have been a lot easier. And, and I'm not saying that parents, you know, are perfect. And I'm not saying that we're perfect. But I for the parents that are listening to this, that are terrified of, man, are we doing the right things? You know, are we saying the right things? How do I help my daughter be more confident? I would tell you that all you have to do is just make it very clear. My dad did an amazing job and my mom of praising and not fake praise, but I love you no matter what. And I'm proud of you. And never assuming that I knew those things. I think sometimes we get swept up as parents of like, well, of course my kids know that I love them. It's like they don't have to tell them that. They don't. To tell them, I love you. I'm proud of you. And and then when the arrows come flying, you know, I I remember my dad saying some some things after games that I thought, man, that was really harsh, but it could never pierce the overarching love that he had for me. And I didn't realize that until recently. That's like a drop the mic moment. And literally, I had an athlete come in a couple weeks ago. Everybody was crying in this lesson because mm -hmm. we got deep a little bit and you could tell she didn't think that her mom loved her mm -hmm. because she brought up the fact that like her mom kept saying this thing over and over and over and it was driving her nuts. And then she started playing just for like to make her mom happy. And it was a really bad weekend and her mom's still bringing this stuff up yeah. and like it just got bad. And it's interesting. That's not the place I wanted to go. But like we went there and her mom's eyes like opened up super mm -hmm. wide. And she was like, oh, my gosh, like, of course I love you. Like, that is ridiculous that you think that I don't. But truly, like your athletes mind, like you're talking about the purple elephant, your athletes going to think of things that don't exist. And if they continue to do that, it becomes it feels permanent. Yeah. And so, I mean, obviously, they still have a lot of work to do in their relationship. But like, I hope that parents don't get to that point. And I learned a lot, you know, now being a mom, I can think about this. Like, I need to do that, you know, when yeah. my son grows up and plays sports or not, like whatever, whatever he does decide to do. Obviously, I'm going to push him, but I, I obviously know that whether he does something great or not, like, I love that kid to death and he needs to know that. Yeah, to vocalize it and to show mm -hmm. it. It's okay to be affectionate. It's okay. Think, think about those hugs, you know? Sometimes mm -hmm. after a game, all you needed was a hug hug from mom. Mm -hmm. Would love to go back and get a sweaty post-game hug from both of my parents. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if like love languages have anything to do with it too. Oh, yeah. You know, like oh my gosh. if you're a physical touch person, then maybe you need more hugs than somebody else. 
or like if you're if you need more praise, like it would be really interesting for parents to know, like, what is their athlete's love language? Like that would be amazing homework. Okay, if you're listening to this podcast right now, if we don't do anything else from this podcast, go research the love languages, the five love languages. And I actually learned something and I thought, wow, this is really cool. Without even having your athlete fill it out, the the things that they do when they close off, the opposite of those is probably their love language. So for example, when your athlete doesn't want to talk to you, the opposite of that is talking to them. And so words of affirmation. Mm. Or, you know, you think about if they retreat to their room, um, or they lash out or they don't, uh, you know, they don't want to be hugged in those moments where they're withdrawn. If your athlete withdraws, then their love language is probably quality time or physical affection. So even without even having them take the test, like parents think about this, like when your athlete is down in the dumps, like what are their tendencies and then reverse engineer it or take the test. That might actually be easier. And I would say like everybody has a little bit of each love language. So you can't really go wrong either. Like if I had a tough game and my dad said like, let's go get ice cream. I was like, let's go. (laughs) Like that's it. But I think I'm more of like a words of affirmation person. Yeah. So like I feel like everybody has a bit of everything. But yeah, good stuff. That's some good homework. That's for marriage and your athletes and, and all areas. Oh, man. So good. Well, Ashley, this has been such an amazing conversation and truly authentic to who we are as friends and just to be able to riff on these things. And you're going to be back. I have no doubt about that. I did want to ask you, so I have a couple of of follow-up questions, but this is a question I want to ask every single podcast guest. And you are a time traveler. You can go back in time and give your past self one message. What would you tell yourself? Don't play for my dad. Mm. don't play for him play for you and if you would have done that sooner Mm. I think I would have been much stronger mentally at a younger age and it all worked out don't worry Ashley I'm time traveling listen listen to this future Ashley that's standing here before you yes please yes please I love that yeah I tried too hard to impress my dad. Probably, probably, do you want to get deep? Probably because I knew I was going to have a conversation in the car after the game. And whether he was going to have a good conversation or a bad conversation depended on how I did. Mm. So that is where that came from. So there you go. Everyone listening, you're already time traveling. You You can think about Ashley's advice to herself. I love that. That is so good. Mostly for parents mostly for parents to connect with their athletes. So to follow up with this, I know you have a lot of amazing things going on. Can you briefly share, talk to me a little bit about the Virtual Hitting Academy. It's hitting means mental performance. Talk a little bit about that. um, And then I'll be sure to post everything in the show notes as well and where we can follow you. But talk a little bit about VHA. Okay, happy to. I came out with this thing during COVID, which was basically, you know, how can you have, you know, work on your mental skills while also being able to work on your physical skills from home? Um, So I started this. It was like technically, actually, it was 2019 when I came up with the idea and then 2020 hit COVID year. And it was like, okay, this makes sense. We need to dive into this more. So 
Um, you know, what it looked like from the beginning to now is like completely different. But, you know, it is exactly that. It is, you know, categorize videos on mental skills, categorize videos on hitting, you know, whether you want to work on, you know, your lower half strength and power or your barrel whip that day, like having just an archive of all these different things you can work on. Same thing from your mental skills. You've actually inspired me to categorize them deeper, better, you know, from different, um, you know, mental skills. Like, hey, if you want to work on visualization, here's some videos to work on that. Um, we have guest speakers that come, which is like some of my favorite stuff. Like Hutch literally kicked off these next six months of Academy and she brought the fire. Like, let me tell you, she she got into it about competitiveness. She got into it about, you know, what a mentally tough athlete looks like. It was awesome. A lot of parents came to that. Um, but I try to just provide athletes with, you know, hands-on things that they can use from their home, like literally wherever they live. Like I have a few few kids from your neck of the woods in Nebraska, a few kids in California, a few kids like everywhere. But like being able to help the athlete, like you said, like develop physically and having the tools to help you get better there. But also like how can you mesh the mental skills with the physical stuff? Um, that is the goal of Academy. Um, so it's, it's that, and it's so much more like we do a swing analysis and all this stuff, but honestly, it's just, it is what you make of it. And that's what I kind of like about Academy. Um, and I have not announced this yet, but I feel like it now is a good time, especially because my doors just closed for the six months. I'm going to be offering a monthly option to become a member soon. Um, so if, if you go to like my wait list or my website, you'll be able to see it all. But, um, absolutely. That, we'll that is one. Show notes yeah. Too. That's one thing when, that I'm that's listening to. Yes. This, even after this episode airs, if you're listening to this, we will be sure to link the correct, whenever you yeah. look at this episode, there will be the correct link below. Yeah. I've noticed people are on different journeys and different timelines. So like mm-hmm. telling people they have to only sign up for six months is like not fair. So I'm going to be offering that. I think it'll be a little less hands-on um, just because, you know, time is valuable these days. But, um, you know, whether you decide to come in for the month and just like have access to all these categorized videos, um, great. Or whether you want to do the six-month program, um, I try to just dive a lot into mental skills, you know, each week in the workshops, but also do some physical stuff. So there's there's a lot of potential to be bigger and better, but I appreciate you letting me talk about it. It's like oh something that I don't talk about enough, to be honest. Yeah. Well, and I think the mission is so much bigger. You know, we talk about it's bigger than softball and what works for one athlete may not work for another. And I just love your story of, you know, just because you're from the Midwest or if you don't live near a hitting coach or you don't have a mental performance coach doesn't mean you can't have access to these things. Mm-hmm. And I truly believe that, you know, collaboration is just so amazing and the conversations that we've had and the ways that we've made each other better is just I am so grateful I'm gonna start crying um truly I think the mission for us is that it's not about us and that's what Mm -hmm. I love about you is that this isn't the Ashley B show this isn't the coach AB show this really is like this is so much bigger than softball and I know that you get that you're right I'm so grateful for you honestly and you've been a guest to talk to my athletes and you were like what what do they need right now and I'm like well let me go ask you know and you wanted to literally give them what they needed in this very moment and so that tells me obviously you better come back um and talk to my athletes again but I, I just think I'm so happy you're doing this podcast because 
now you have like references that you can give people, you know, on yeah. specific topics. Um, obviously, we we went on tangents on like 85 topics today, but you're changing the world, Amanda. Like it, you really are. And the fact that you're opening up, you know, even more of yourself to your community, I think is so awesome. Same, same. Let's let's keep keep going. Keep holding each other accountable. I will I will talk to you again. But for our guests today, uh, we will follow you. I'll I'll post in the show notes, uh, VHA, and then Facebook, Instagram, Ashley B Training, Twitter, Smashly underscore four. We've got all of those links that will link below, as well as when the cleats come off podcast. Ashley, as always, like so grateful for you. Thanks for an amazing conversation today. I'm sad it's over. I can't wait for the next one. Thanks, Amanda. As a mental performance coach, I love that Ashley makes hitting and mental skills so tangible and actionable through her drills and coaching calls for athletes, no matter where they are in the country. And we talked a little bit about that on today's episode. But if you would like more information on how to become a member of the Virtual Hitting Academy with Ashley, and you're ready to finally crack the code on how to create a beautiful swing from the ground up, Ashley is your coach. I would love for you to have total confidence in your hitting mechanics and Ashley can create that for you inside her academy. So if you're always scratching your head as a parent on what drills to do at home to help your daughter become a better hitter, whether you have a hitting coach or not, but especially if you don't have a hitting coach, Ashley is all that and more, especially since she incorporates mental skills into everything she does. You can find out more at ashleybtraining.com And we will also put a direct link in the show notes for you as well that will take you to everything that's included. This is simply something that I recommend. I'm not making a commission on this. I truly believe in her ability as a hitting coach and a mental skills coach. So if this is something in your game that you've wanted to find a resource for, definitely check it out. And thanks for tuning into today's episode. As always, if you loved it, share it on your social channels and be sure to tag Ashley and I. We would love to hear your thoughts and takeaways. Stay tuned for the next episode.